Have you ever wondered what it would be like to sit down over coffee and have a personal face-to-face conversation with Jesus? In our eight-week series, Conversations with Jesus, we explore just that. Pull up a chair and listen in as Pastor Ron shares with us what that really did look like. Morning, church family. It's uh, really good to have you here. Blessing to be with you. And uh, now we get to spend some time in God's Word. If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to open it to John 21, John chapter 21. Um, I spent some time with a good friend of mine this week, hadn't seen for a while, Garth Larson. Some of you know Garth and Patty. And uh, we were hanging out, and he was showing me on his iPad some pictures that uh, we were talking about how great they illustrate what we're talking about this morning. And it was under the title, Why Women Live Longer Than Men. Just a few of those pictures we've got for you this morning. <laughs> nice. Nice. We, we actually had several hundred of these pictures, but we, um, we had to cut it short. This was going to be every guy to feel like an idiot here, but... Um, it's true, guys live shorter lives for a lot of different reasons, and, um, and we acknowledge it, ladies, you are far more um, sensible than many guys, and uh, won't take some of the stupid risks that guys do. But we all, the truth of Scripture is, make mistakes, some small mistakes, some really whoppers, some crazy mistakes we get ourselves into. And those mistakes sometimes can really alter the course of us and our lives can really cause us to think, wow, is there, is there any way out of this, this load that I've just dumped myself in? And, and how can I escape from this? How could I ever get back to where I once was? How, how could I be right with God in this and what I've done? Because you acknowledge you've got this load of guilt about the activity or shame and you're wondering, how, how can I not only get right with God, but c- could God ever use me again? If you are a person who has chosen to follow Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That, that you know, when you read stories like the one we're about to read, when Jesus is interacting with Peter, because Peter had betrayed his Lord, it cuts to the heart, to the quick. Because you can think about this week, you know this week, that there were moments where Jesus was knowing what was in your heart, was in your mind. He saw the activity that you were involved with, and it was an activity of betrayal against him and against all that God has created you to be. Can God redeem that? Can he restore that? Centuries ago, the, the Pope talked an artist who really loved to do sculpture but not painting so much to lie on his back for about four years and paint the Sistine Chapel. I'm talking about Mark, Michelangelo. And he took him four years to paint this painting. And then as the years went on, flocks of people would come to see this magnificent piece of art, this fabulous work of art. But the problem was that over the centuries, dirt and grime and filth and it made its way, and the ceiling had cracks, and you know, there's 7,000 people on average per day that see the Sistine Chapel work of art, 
and many of them smoking. And, and then they tried to restore it multiple times, abject failure. And, and by the time in the 1970s it hit, it was just hardly recognizable. And the Pope and the church, Roman Catholic Church, gathered a, a group of art restoration professionals, and they spent 14 years painstakingly going over the details to restore that piece of art back as close as they could to the original condition. It was it's a fabulous. So if you go to the Sistine Chapel today, it's a totally different thing than what you've seen in the 70s. You can see this brilliant piece of art that Michelangelo wrought there. It's fantastic. But you know, of course, if, if you know anything about God's word, that the greatest masterpiece of the great artist, our creator, is you. He created you in his image. It's far greater than Yosemite or the, your favorite beach, wherever it might be. It, it's this fantastic handiwork of God. And yet, that handiwork has been marred. It's been stained by all kinds of junk that gathers in our life. The Bible calls it sin. It breaks us. It defaces us. And the question is, what do we do with that? Really, honestly, um, don't just give me the Bible answer. What, what do you do with it? All that stuff. And can God really restore? The message this morning is that our God loves to restore. Not just to make what was can be scrappy looking look pretty good again, but to take you from a place of brokenness and shame and guilt and separation from God where you are no longer living like you were created to live. You are no longer looking like you were in the image of God himself to a place that's far better even than the original because it, it's stronger. It's been healed. It's been restored. And not just as a one-time act, but as a continual act because you and I know this, that we are in constant, desperate need of restoration. And if I don't have that in my life, all the people around me suffer because of it. My brokenness, my marriage suffers. My kids suffer. You suffer. And the glory of God is not seen in me like he's designed that to be. So here is this once proud leader, confident guy, Peter, who had totally blown it. He was a guy, as the book of Matthew describes, who's like, yeah, all these other guys might bail. Not me, Lord. I'm going to be faithful to the end. I would die for you. And in that moment, of course, Jesus says, no. Actually, before the rooster crows, three times. You're not going to just bail on me. It's going to be worse than that. You're going to betray me to other people like you never knew me. You're going to say deeply wounding words against me and betray me, betray our trust, betray our love. What can redeem and restore that when a person does this? Here's the beauty of my Lord, if you didn't know it already. 
that he came to take that which was dead and to breathe new life into it. We saw that actually last week when we were examining the story in John chapter 20 when Jesus comes to Thomas who has been struggling and needing evidence for his faith. And then once that event happens with Thomas and he comes and declares, my Lord, my God, when he sees him face to face, we know that that God restored Thomas just as he restored the disciples in the scene before it where he breathed the spirit into them just as that a second work of life. First they were given life. That's Genesis chapter 2 in the story of scripture. Now John chapter 20, he breathes life. And this is the business of God, that he breathes life into us and to take that which was beyond repair and make it better than new. That's his great miraculous work in you. When you were beyond repair, Bobby, I'm taking on my new great friend, Bobby, who's in my small group. When you were beyond repair, Barbara, he uh, miraculously made you new, loved you with that kind of powerful love that, that the resurrection proclaims. This is the business of God. As Roman proclaims in our study of Romans, that once We were fully broken once we had sinned. There was no good in any person, nothing that that could measure up. We were all in need and all separated from God. And then, this is the good news, that he loved us tenaciously and passionately and perfectly to make us new through the power of the cross and the resurrection. This is the gospel that's proclaimed. And John's stories in his gospel are full of these stories of restoration to men, to women, to broken people, to people who thought they had it all together, all different kinds of cultures that Jesus proclaimed the good news to. And here at the end, once again, is a story of restoration. John 21 begins this way. Peter still stewing in this broken relationship. He had seen the risen Lord Jesus. Right? That's Easter, right? They were gathering that upper room, and he sees Jesus there, and like firsthand, he catches it. The, the Lord Jesus had risen from the dead, and then eight days later, he had been there with Thomas, when Thomas was struggling, struggling grappling with his doubts, and, and Thomas makes his confession. He was there, but Peter never had that personal conversation with Jesus to get it right, And he was just hungering for it and not knowing where he was going. And he was loose. He was at an end. He didn't know what was next. I'm not sure if you've ever been at that place where you're not sure what God has for your future. What's next? And that's where Peter was sitting, still struggling with unresolved junk. So he does what was natural to him. He goes fishing. And he brings a bunch of his friends, seven guys. They're out on this boat, and they just spend all night long. Their hearts probably weren't into it. These Several of them were professional fishermen, and they they caught nothing all night long. Of course, night fishing is a different thing, isn't it? But they've got their net, and um, they're just kind of cruising around the boat, not getting anything all night long. And their uh, brains were spinning. Some of them were thinking, okay, he really did that. I really saw the risen Lord Jesus. Now what? And I'm sure in Peter's mind, now what? 
because we're still broken. I, I don't know that I've been forgiven for this horrible thing I've done. I've betrayed Jesus. By the way, in case this sounds like just a, a story that happened centuries ago, what the Bible proclaims is that you are that man. You have betrayed the Lord God and his trust and his love for you. That's you in the boat that night wondering, how do I get this right? And um, dawn breaks. Jesus had a barbecue going on the beach. He had been making breakfast, fish and bread, simple breakfast. And he calls out to the guys who are fishing, throw the net on the other side, which to these guys could well have been taken in the wrong way, right? What kind of idiot says that to guys who are already ticked off and not catching fish all, all night long and it's morning now and they're tired and cranky and, you know, these are big guys that probably could have rode in and smacked, and, you know, who knows what's going on. And, there, and I'm sure a couple of them mumbled in the boat, but for whatever reason, they decide, okay, what do we have to lose? And they throw the net on the other side and what happens? You've read the story, right? It wasn't just a couple fish that jump in. It's a whole school that jumps in. Somebody has got their abacus or something. They're, they're counting the fish as they jump in. It's 153 fish, and the boat's like listing, you know, and, and they're wondering. It's one of those Jesus moments. Have you ever experienced that in your life where you're looking around and you're like, how in the world did that happen? How, how, did, how did that happen? The only explanation is that God loved you and wanted to make himself known to you. And maybe you've forgotten those moments in your life. Don't. Don't forget that. When God steps in to your place and he makes himself known, then embrace that. So God makes himself known in that moment. And um, when Peter catches it, and we don't know why, he throws on another piece of clothing. Maybe it was just stripped to the waist, fishing. It's a bunch of guys out in a boat, you know, what do they care? But he throws on another piece of clothing, and he dives right in, and he swims to shore. They're 100 yards out or so. Why? He's got unfinished business, right? He wants a conversation with Jesus. But apparently the guys in the boats are paddling pretty fast, and he doesn't have an opportunity to have this conversation with Jesus yet. And they have breakfast, and I'm sure in the middle of breakfast, and Peter's just antsy. Not sure if you felt this emotion. You know you should do business with God. You've got to get things right and take care of it. And you haven't yet. Perhaps you walked in this morning that way. You haven't, you haven't gotten right with God. You don't know if he would actually love you enough to forgive you for what you've done. You don't know actually whether if he did forgive you, he would ever use you for any meaningful purpose. You haven't read the story if, if you're wondering. Because this great story proclaims that my God's in the business of reconciliation and restoration. And so they have breakfast. And we pick up the story Verse 15, John 21. 
when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, you have it in your Bible? If you don't have a Bible, there's some around, or just flip open your Bible app. Great. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. That's John's artful description of himself. The one who had been reclining at the table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, that is John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread about, um, abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it's my will that he remains until I come, what's it to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Isn't that a great ending? The book. So, breakfast is finished, and Jesus turns to Simon. And they're all there. He turns to him and he says, Yeah, do you love me more than these? not sure what the these is. There are multiple things it could be. It's one of those things where Jesus like sets them up and uh, it could be, do you love me more than these disciples, these other guys that are around here? Because you said it, right? You said it before you betrayed me that you love me more than them. It, It could be, do you love me more than you love the guys that you're spending time with? Or it could be, do you love me more than these fish and this fishing equipment and your business and all the other things of your life? Do you love me more than everything? Yeah, you know, you know I love you. I love you. And he asked it a second time. Yeah, do do you love me, Peter? He actually, if you notice, he uses a very formal address. When my, um, when my parents 
use that kind of address when they'd say, Ronald Lewis King to me? Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm about to say. I was in serious trouble. I don't know if your parents ever treated you that they used like the full name and you knew you were toast. You need to better listen now. That's what it means in our house. You listen to me right now. When Sue uses that Joshua James King, that's, that's the guy. Okay, listen to mom now. He uses his formal address so Peter would listen. And he's got a point to make, doesn't he? Listen, our Lord, he just loves to restore. And he has a method about how he does it. He gets at the heart of things. What's going on inside of our soul? He lives to restore us. Not the outside stuff like, you know, people who get facelifts or tummy tucks or whatever they get, you know. That stuff doesn't last, by the way, and sometimes it looks a lot worse afterwards than it does beforehand. Just me saying, that's all I'm saying. But the Lord lives to restore our soul, and that's what is happening here. This is about your love. And then he asks the third time, and that's when Peter gets it, that it stings. He gets it that Jesus is asking three times because three times he said he didn't. Three times he walked away and betrayed him. Peter, do you really love me? Because restoration begins with our love life. It begins with, do you love me more than these, than everything? Really? So let me ask it again. Do you really love me that much? Do you really love me more than your fiance? Do you really love me more than your bank account? Do you really love me more than anything? It's a big question, isn't it? And that's kind of dangerous. It is dangerous. It's dangerous to say I love you if you hadn't known that. Um, Do you remember, ladies, those of you who are married, when you got to that point and you had to proclaim your vows to your husband? Do you remember that? And you, uh, you said, you know, you said that in front of other witnesses. That was risky, right? Because this guy's human. And he makes all kinds of mistakes. Some of you actually are here. You made vows to a person and they betrayed you and they stomped your heart and you've lived through the pain of divorce and separation. You've known the risk of love. It's riskier to love the Lord. Did you know that? Now, there's a big upside. Even when we are faithless, Scripture says, he remains faithful. That's not the risk. The risk isn't when I love the Lord and proclaim my love to him that that he's going to fail. God does not fail me. He's faithful in my love. But to proclaim my love for the Lord means that I'm willing to follow him. And when I follow, he leads me to dangerous places because he's after the expansion of my faith, the growth of my faith. I am going to go to places that are risky, and that was the message for Peter. Follow me. And by the way, when you do, there's a future in store for you. You're going to stretch out your hands. He's talking about a crucifixion there. And they got it. They they got what he was talking about. Peter, do you love me? Then I've got a task for you. 
But first, let's talk about your love because that's where restoration starts. Where's your heart? Do you really, truly want me and all that I am? Do you really, truly want my forgiveness and a life with me? You're really, truly going to place your faith in me and follow me? Do you love me more than these? And if that's the case, that's great. And Peter just says it. I love you. Yeah, I, I love you. Oh, wow. Lord, that stings. But you know everything, don't you? You know I love you. I've heard whole messages um, given on the, the words that are used there. There are some different words in the original language, the Koine Greek, the writing of the New Testament, that are um, about that word love, agape. There's actually multiple words in the text used, but in this passage, it's two words, agape and phileo. Agape, the, the love, sacrificial, perfect love of God. And phileo, the more affinitive friendship, companionship love. Um, and I've heard people talk about it a lot. I, I just think the point of the passage is, Peter, do you love me? This starts, this restoration of you starts with our love life because this conversation most likely was in Aramaic, not Greek in the first place. And John often uses language where he uses synonyms. He does it throughout the text. So I don't think we should make too big of a deal about the use of the particular word here. I just think it's about his love. It, it's about, do you really honestly love me? That's where restoration is found. Because in our relationship, it's about love. I've demonstrated my love toward you in that while you were still a sinner, I died for you. Do you love me? And, and that's the question. I think that's the one thing above all things when you leave here today that should be ringing in your ears this week. Oh, Lord, do I love you? When he says it, Paul, do you love me? Sean, do you love me? Tim, do you love me? Ann, do you love me? Sue, do you love me? That's the word. You know what I'm talking about, Greg, right? That's the word for us, that he speaks into us. This is the symbol of his love for us, his broken body and shed blood on a cross. And so he's asking that question of Peter repeatedly. Because that's where restoration begins. Jesus Christ, see, became incarnate. He became flesh for this purpose, to make a way back to God, that man might stand before God and he was created to do the friend and the lover of God for his glory. It's about you being his friend and lover for his glory. Do you love him? If so, if the answer is yes, He's got a purpose in your restoration. He doesn't do it so you could feel good and then live for yourself, does he? He doesn't say, Peter, that's great. Now go back to the boat. Have at it. You'll be successful in a career in fishing. No, he says it three times. This is about the mission. I've got a mission for your life. It's to care, to spiritually nurture people in the faith. That's what he's talking about. Peter got the imagery right away. Feed my sheep. Tend, care for them, protect them, invest your life there. And that's what Peter did. After this, 
Peter goes on to a life of laying himself down for the care and nurturing of other people to raise them up. We believe as a church that we are all ministers. There's not a group of professionals and the rest of us who just don't do it, right? We are all involved in the ministry and the care of people sitting next to us and their spiritual nurturing. That's why God restored you. That's why he forgives you. That's why he has you in the palm of his hand so that you might have an eternal mission, so that you might be missional. He has this great purpose for you. That's why he restores you. And that's why he restored Peter. Until the day Peter died, most likely in the year 67 AD, where Peter is crucified. Tradition historian, church historians tell us that Peter would not be crucified like the Lord was crucified, but instead he hung upside down, which actually is a worse way to go. When you're crucified, up right side up, you die as asphyxiation. You, you can't breathe anymore. But when you're upside down, that doesn't happen. Tradition tells us that he spent three days on the cross. That he, he died this horrible death. But he was faithful in that. Even when he was faithless in the past, God had restored him to a place to bring such a powerful witness to those early martyrs, those early church those early people who were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. The guy would take a person who was a betrayer and use him for such a powerful witness to him. That's what he does in the life of Peter. God restores us in the same way so that we would be missional. It'd be great if the story ended there with Jesus saying, okay, follow me. But Peter, not fully able to control his tongue, blows it one more time. Just a little bit, right? In the story, um, they're walking away. Peter had just been restored and had this conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, and he's walking along. And and he looks over his shoulder and sees John there. And he starts playing the comparison game. I know you've never done that, right? Or you've looked at another person. Yeah, but Lord, what about that person? Yeah, you see what they do, right? We're right, we're good now, but that person? And Jesus responds, Peter, what does it matter? What does it matter if he never dies? What does that matter to you? Follow me. You, actually, it's imperative, a, a command. You must follow me, Peter. That's the deal. You said you loved me, now do it. That's the whole story of the word of God for you this morning. Do you love him? He's, he's going to restore you. He does that on a daily basis for this purpose, for you to live for him, to live out the mission, to, to live intentionally for him, and to give your life away for people in your neighborhood who don't yet know Jesus, for them to see it people that you live with and do work with and go to school with so that they might get it too. That's why we're praying and inviting and encouraging people here. That's the deal. It's what we do as a church because we are a church on a mission given by God. Praise God by his power that we're those people that have been restored. If you came this morning 
and you're separated from God and you know it, just do business with him. Just tell him. Seek his forgiveness. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of that junk. Give us his righteousness. That's what he can do because of the cross and because of the resurrection. So go there. And if you are a person who is following Jesus right now, just ask yourself each day, listen to the voice of the Lord Jesus. Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Father, pray that you would bless us with the courage to face the words that you speak to us and to live fully for you. Thank you that you are in this restoration business of healing our brokenness, our separation, our junk. And because of the power of the cross that you could make all things right. Help us to follow you, Lord. You know that we need your help every moment. Pray these things in the power of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from Bridges Community Church. If you want to find out more about Bridges and who we are, please check out our website at bridgescc.org.